Well, sacrifice is one of those things, as I said, if you don't take time to remember it, uh, you can quickly forget it. And it's one of those things that if you don't really internalize what it means for you, you don't really understand the price that was paid. Many, many hundreds of thousands have paid a price over the years, but there's one man who paid the greatest price. And that's where we understand as Christians that sacrifice is at the core of who we are, the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, the perfect sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice, means everything to us. And so I'm going to invite you to open up to Hebrews 10 as we reflect on this perfect sacrifice of Jesus. But let's talk first about the concept of perfect. It's a word that we throw around often. Uh, that some of us are perfectionists where we strive for perfection. Sometimes we expect perfection out of those around us, out of business and commerce transactions. Uh, sometimes we're looking for that perfect house, the perfect job, or the perfect spouse. But you learn after a while that if you want to find something in this world that's perfect, it means you're probably going to have to redefine what perfect really means. I heard someone say before that they like baseball. Who was that that said they like baseball? That's my man right there. I love baseball too. And one of the things that doesn't happen often in baseball is a perfect game. This is a pitcher who throws all nine innings, who faces only 27 batters, and none of them reach base. It's only happened 23 times in the history of baseball. That's about one in every 10,000 games. The perfect game is extremely rare. The pitcher gets all the credit. But the problem is, there's actually a large margin of error that a pitcher can have and still throw a perfect game. They can make a bad pitch that gets hit hard, but their, their teammate bails them out with a great defensive play. The ump can make a bad call. You know, technically speaking, you could throw uh, over 80 balls. You could miss the strike zone over 80 times as a pitcher and still throw a perfect game. A perfect game really would be 81 pitches, all of them strikes, and none of them ever even being hit by the batter. 27 strikeouts. It's never going to happen. So like everything else in this world, to achieve perfection, we need to redefine what perfect means. But Jesus himself is the definition of perfect. And the sacrifice he made was truly perfect. The old adage rings true, nobody is perfect. And we all fail sometimes in the most spectacular fashion. But Jesus didn't. And through his sacrifice, and only through his sacrifice, we'll read today, we can be made perfect too. There is no other way but the sacrifice of Jesus. So let's read together. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 14, and we're going to unpack this concept as we go. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, who, otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. 
But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. There's a lot to unpack here. We're going to keep a pretty high-level approach today as we think about the sacrifice of Jesus. But the first thing we see through the first four verses of the text is that there's a necessity of Christ's sacrifice. Now, just because something could be, quote, perfect, doesn't mean that it's needed. And I remember reading an article a number of years back about this Japanese man. This may really uh, interest those who are engineer, uh, who are minded in engineering, but this Japanese man took a, a ball of tinfoil, <clears throat> and I read this whole article, and he crumpled it up, and he kept forming it with his hands until it became a perfect ball. And after weeks of, of doing this, it became this polished, perfect ball of aluminum. You know, aluminum foil, the stuff your Chipotle burrito comes in that you just throw away and you're done. He crumpled it up and he kept forming it. And it was this big deal. And they showed it on the micrometer that the diameter was perfect around this whole ball. And it was this big deal that this, that this guy did it. And I thought about it after I read the article. What was the point of that aluminum ball? And what was the bigger waste of time, this guy making a perfect ball of garbage or me reading this whole article about it? (laughs) But just because something is perfect doesn't mean it's needed. But the the sacrifice of Christ, the perfect sacrifice of Christ, as we read in the first four verses, was absolutely needed. And the mistake we make is thinking that we didn't need that sacrifice. And I remember hearing on the radio an interaction between a famous apologist and and a college student where she said, isn't it kind of prideful and arrogant of God to send his son into the world as a sacrifice when I never asked for that? The response from the apologist was, first of all, we can never understand why God did what he did. But second of all, it's kind of ironic by your question that you're not understanding who's prideful and arrogant. If you say you don't need the sacrifice of Christ, then you don't really understand your own condition and what he did. 
But there's been many sacrifices before the time of Jesus. And what we read about in these first few verses really was referring to the Day of Atonement. And there's a real elaborate, intricate system set up through ceremonial law in the Old Testament where there's many different sacrifices for many different reasons, but the key sacrifice was on the 10th day of the 7th month, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, where the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would offer a sacrifice that would cover the sins of the entire nation. It was the chief sacrifice. And people put all sorts of hope into this one sacrifice. But what this was uh, instituted to do was to point forward to the great sacrifice of Jesus. That every prior sacrifice was intended to point forward to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And the problem was that they were putting all of their hope into this sacrificial system. Now, it wasn't something they just made up. It wasn't something they created in their minds, but they did it exactly as God told them to. But it wasn't meant to take away their sins. Rather, it was meant to highlight their sins and point them forward to the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And it brings up some really important questions for us to wrestle with. The first is, why is sacrifice needed at all? Why do we need to sacrifice? Why did God require blood for sacrifice, for sin? We know biblically that it's there that we read over and over again. And just in the chapter prior to this, in Hebrews 9, we read that without the shedding of blood, there cannot be the forgiveness of sins. But the important part when we consider sacrifice, blood sacrifice, is it does not reveal to us the character of God. It doesn't mean God that is, is some vengeful, bloodthirsty being who just craves blood and death. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. When you look at God's original intention of the world, the way he created it to be, there was no death. He wanted no death, but through sin, when sin entered the world, death came with it. It was never in the original intention of God. And now he's working to redeem the world into another endpoint, which there is no death. God never chose death, and God hates and mourns over death more than we ever could. Sacrifice does not illustrate the character of God, but rather it shows us the seriousness and the consequence of our sin. The wages of sin or the price of sin is death. Now, we're all born with an inclination towards sin, but in the end, we all choose to sin. And So when you choose to sin, essentially, you are choosing death. That's the ultimate end point of sin, the the price, the wage. So we understand that this sacrifice really is revealing to us the penalty of our sin. It's highlighting us. It's not highlighting God. But it's also a shadow toward the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, which brings us to another question. Why did it have to be Jesus? Why couldn't we just keep sacrificing animals like he had originally set up. And sometimes the cross, the crucifixion of, of Jesus, we, we kind of take it in rote. It's something that we just readily accept. But I remember hearing a story of, of some, uh, 
I think they're Filipinos in, in the Philippines watching the Jesus story or the Jesus film for the first time, which really, uh, it, it takes the whole gospel of Christ and puts it in a film. And so they're seeing the story of Jesus and they see this man teaching and, and they're really starting to like this character. And then they were surprised when Jesus died. And there's this, all these people are watching together and you can hear them going, no, 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 don't kill him, don't crucify him. And they were shocked by this death. It's something we just readily accept. But ask yourself, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he do it for us? The short answer is love. We're going to get to that in a bit. But the, the long answer is that the ceremonial law was never meant to take away sin. It was just a temporary covering. In the same way, if you carry a mortgage you know that you may owe hundreds of thousands of dollars for your house. It's something you can't repay now, but you can pay the monthly payments. And maybe you're scrapping together that money for the month, but you send it off before the due date. You feel relieved. You feel exonerated from responsibility for a moment, but you know the next month it's going to come again. And that's the way this system worked. Even the chief sacrifice on the Day of Atonement was something they had to just keep doing over and over again because it never took away sins. It just temporarily covered them. Because the reality is that the animals didn't volunteer for that sacrifice. They didn't sign a line or a contract of consent. The animals were not moral beings. They may uh, know what emotion is. They may be able to sense danger on them, but they have no sense of right and wrong. The sacrifice for our sins needed to be from a willing person who had a moral compass of right and wrong, and who could perfect the things that we uh, messed up. That was Jesus. Jesus came. And so we read in verse 3 that the sacrifices of those sins were just an annual reminder of our sins. They never took them away. And that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, our takeaway from this really is, you know, we don't have the sacrificial system. In fact, the Jews still don't have the sacrificial system today. This doesn't exist anymore. But we have many other ways that we could look to, put hope in, and view these sacrifices as something greater than Jesus, but none of them do. See, Christianity gives us peace. It gives us security only if you understand the necessity for his sacrifice. When you understand the necessity for sacrifice and that Jesus did it for you, the next question is, why would he? Why would he do that for me even if I don't deserve it? And that's where we see the willingness of Christ's sacrifice highlighted in verses 5 through 10. That's kind of an amazing portion of Scripture here when you read, especially verses 5, 6, 7. What the author of Hebrews is doing is taking this quote from Psalm 40, who was written by the psalmist thousands of years before Christ, and is now saying these are the words that Jesus would have spoke when he came in the flesh. That sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. Jesus, in this, is really considering the cost of his own sacrifice. And we see four key words, sin, or offerings, um, sacrifice, 
burnt offerings, sin offerings. This really represented the entirety of the old sacrificial system in which Jesus is consciously saying, I'm taking upon myself all of that to be the sacrifice for your sins. Here I am. I have come to do your will. Jesus lovingly and willingly went to the cross, knowing exactly what price he would pay. And the idea of Jesus coming in love is is all throughout the Gospels, all throughout the New Testament. The verse we read this morning from Phil, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for a friend. In Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or in 1 John, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The consciousness, the willingness, the lovingness of Christ to be our sacrifice is evident through all the scriptures. But a longer answer to that, too, why would Christ do this for us, is also in his obedience. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the will of the Father, even to death, so that the sins of the world would not just be covered, but they would be taken away. Jesus was the only way. He was always the only way. It was the plan. It was the will of God the Father, and Jesus had to remain obedient to that. No other faith teaches this in the world. When you understand you have a problem, every other faith teaches you, you need to fix that problem yourself. But in Christianity, Christ came to be the solution for us. And only Christ could be the solution for us. And he did so willingly. And all we have to do is have faith in him. There's this interesting point in verse 9 where it says, He came to set aside the first to establish the second. That's talking about the covenantial systems, that the old system of sacrifice was set aside. And another word from that for that is abolish or to destroy. And we see this happen when Christ hung on the cross. When he took his last breath, there was an earthquake that split the veil in two. And this was the signal that the old system, the old promise or covenant, was gone. And now that the will of God is that there would be a new covenant through grace and faith in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus, fully God, And fully man hung on the cross. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice by his very nature, by his timeliness or timelessness, that he was the eternal Son of God, that he could take upon ourselves, take upon himself the wrath for our sin, both now and forever. He is sinless, that he came in the flesh, and that's what's important to remember in verse 10. That he lived in the same body you and I do. It wasn't a special body. It was a regular human body. He was born of a mother, just like every single person here. And yet, through that, he conquered sin. He was the sorrowful, sorrowful and suffering son of God. He gave up his entire life in obedience to the Father, even to the point of death. 
And this sacrifice was all sufficient. That's the last point we're making today. That this is one sacrifice, once for all. He didn't have to keep doing it year after year after year like the, like the priests before him. And this really means that there's nothing we can do to add to the sacrifice. Jesus did it all for us. And our own merit, our own works, our own understandings cannot make that any better, but we also can't subtract from it. No matter how far you've wandered, or no matter what you've done, it doesn't mean you're too far gone from Jesus. His sacrifice was all sufficient. He died once, and he died once for all who believe. What we read here is that Jesus did with one perfect sacrifice what these earthly priests could not do for thousands of years. Up to this point, especially those who are receiving the original letter here, they're putting all of their faith into this system that was created. But it was never meant to remove our sins. Only Jesus did that. And we see that these priests over these years, these about 1,600 years before Jesus, that day after day the priest stand and performs their religious duties. Again and again they offer the same sacrifices which never take away sins. But Jesus is in stark contrast to that. He had the one sacrifice, and when he was done, he sat down because the work was done. And he didn't sit down anywhere. He sat down at the right hand of God, which is a position of power, of authority. We see here that Jesus was not just a priest. He was not just the sacrifice. He is a king, an eternal king. And now he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. There's nothing left for him to do but just to come back and complete what he started. Since Jesus sacrificed, all he needs to do is return. No more work. It's completely sufficient. And the profound effect of this sacrifice is that we will be made perfect as well. We talked up front about that idea of perfection, something we constantly chase, we look for in every way, we expect in a lot of ways in this life, but it will not happen except through Jesus. For what, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This refers to the sanctification, the complete removal of sin, being made holy in Jesus, that when you trust in him, You trust in this sufficient, perfect sacrifice that it changes everything of who we are. And when he comes back, we will be made perfect and glorified in him. You're chasing perfection in this life. All of us are in some way, some more than others. Stop trying. Start trusting. It's not you. It's Jesus. Jesus will make you perfect by his perfect sacrifice. And it's not just a prospect, it's a promise. It's a promise of God that we can be made perfect through a perfect sacrifice. Only Jesus could do this. He's willingly and lovingly doing it for us. We can't add to it, we can't subtract from it. We won't find any substitute in this world, no matter how alluring and ensnaring it may may be. 
Only Jesus was perfect. Only Jesus can make us perfect.